<laughs> I have to practice the word sesquicentennial. Sounds weird. What does that mean? Sesquicentennial. 150th anniversary. That's a dumb word. No one needs a word for that. Okay, should I just not say it? No, you should say it, and then I'm going to say it. Because it sounds weird, a dumb it? word, and I don't think it should exist. Like the person that makes the person that made that up was like, I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to say. Sesquicentennial. Like that sad bit in Henry V when he's like, he lists all the people, and he's like, these names, everyone's going to know who we are, and no one knows who you are. Sorry, Henry yeah. V. And guess what? Nobody knows who made up the word sesquicentennial either. So wow. sucks Sadness. to be you. Probably some guy. Some dude. Maybe someone will come across their gravestone someday and it's, it will say, hey, I made up the word sesquicentennial. BT dubs, sesquicentennial. Yeah. Yeah. And that's when my spirit will rise from the grave. And it was you. you it was you all the time. It was me all the time. You came up with the word you can't even say, Lauren. It's true. Hello and welcome to Bonnets at Dawn, the podcast that pits Jane Austen against all three Bronte sisters. I am your host, Hannah Chapman, Team Austen. And I am your host, Lauren Burke, Team Bronte. So today on the show, we are celebrating the sesquicentennial of little women. That is 150 years of little women, just in case. 150 top years. Yeah, top years. The best years for small women everywhere. (laughs) That lucky Louisa May Alcott estate rolling in the dough. (laughs) So um, first up on this episode, we are going to be welcoming our resident Louisa May Alcott expert back. That is Anne Boyd Rue. Now, we spoke to Anne back in uh, back in May. What was May? Hannah, was that our Louisa May Alcott? Oh, (laughs) (laughs) Lauren. Sorry. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, Louisa May Alcott. We spent like a month. We dedicated a month to Louisa May Alcott. After like, I had to convince Lauren, you know, but we did it. It was great. It was True worth story. it, wasn't it? It was worth it. Um, back in May to Anne's uh, book had not yet dropped. And that book is Meg, Joe, Beth and Amy, the story of little women and why it still matters. Um, that book is out now. And it's fantastic. I have read it. So, um, yeah, let's go ahead and jump into that interview, and then we will be back with more show. Like, what is your story with Little Women? What's your own personal history with the book? Well, I did not read it as a child, Mm -hmm. sadly. Um, I really wish that I had. I think I really could have used Joe March as a role model when I was growing up. You know, my teenage years were difficult. And it would have been nice, I think, to have Joe as a companion at that time. Um, I read the book in graduate school. So I had a professor who was pretty progressive, and he taught it in a course on American literary realism Mm -hmm. and taught it next to um, Huck Finn. And so kind of providing, you know, the, the domestic, you know, the perspective of the domestic sphere um, Mm -hmm. in a more positive light. 
and Huck Finn, but I think it was an interesting pairing. But the book actually hit me at a very good time in my life because I was in my early 20s. I was in graduate school because I didn't know what else to do with my life. Um, I think a lot of people go to grad school because they're not ready to start living <laughs> as yes. adults, right? So I was still in that kind of in-between, I think, stage that the girls are in in the book, you know, trying to figure out what sort of path in life they want, Joe in particular. So Joe was still a revelation to me and still an inspiration. And it wasn't so much, you know, her wanting to be a writer when she was younger and that sort of thing, you know, which might've meant something more to me when I was younger. It was the fact that she, you know, is kind of where she ends up at the end of the book because she does marry. But I thought that that the way she approached marriage was inspiring in terms of her insistence to Professor Bear that she will help earn their living, right? That she will be a partner in this marriage. She's not gonna be dependent on him. And, um, and then there's that flash forward at the very, in the very last chapter where they're looking back on the earlier castles in the air and she says that hers seems cold and selfish to her now, right? A literary life without love, without family. And she realizes now that you know she has a fuller life and she says I still hope to write a great book someday but I expect it to be better for these experiences that she's having um, in her family and she sort of gestures to the kids and to her family and that was such a revelation to me because everything that I had heard up until then was that by having a family you're sacrificing um, you know whatever whatever writing you may have been able to do, right? If you want to be a good writer, you should stay single, um, you know, and not try to divide yourself and your energies. And that was really upsetting to me because I wanted both, right? I wanted to be a writer. I wanted to maybe be a professor. I wanted to have kids and I wanted, wanted to have the full life. And here mm -hmm. Joe was saying that, you know, not only, you know, had she chosen to be um, a wife and a mother, but she still hopes to write her great book, maybe not immediately while well, the kids were little, but one day, which she does do later in Joe's Boys, but that the book will actually be better because of her experiences as a wife and a mother um, and, you know, the family that she has. And that just blew me away. And, and I clung to that. I really did. I clung to that idea. Um, and I think it's absolutely true. I feel that is certainly the case in my life. I know that the course you know, my writing has taken, and particularly this book that I wrote about little women, certainly informed so much by my relationship with my daughter, <clears throat> seeing her grow up. Um, I did give her the middle name Josephine um, and gave her the book to read when she was 11 years old and wanted her to have that warm, cozy experience that I didn't get to have when I was a preteen. Um, she didn't quite have that experience. Um, she but, you know, she grew up on the Harry Potter books. So, so that was, you know, that was her first love. And J.K. Rowling is her hero. But I delighted in sharing with her the news that J.K. Rowling's favorite literary heroine was Joe March. And I do see, I do see a lot of interesting connections between Hermione and Joe. Um, and so that's been kind of fun to share with her. Oh, that's great. Now, I love what you um, what you just said about that last scene in Little Women, because this is something that sort of Hannah and I have been talking about in our other life, which is like editing comics. We've seen a lot of memoirs come out this year from 
people in their 20s comic wise and what the what why this happens in comics more often is because it's you know their skill level of drawing um panel to panel drawing is is at a certain height but maybe their storytelling isn't at a certain height right so it doesn't quite match up and um i keep saying in panels and in different workshops like it's okay if you're not ready to tell this story and you're in your 20s like don't feel pressure because your drawing level is at a certain level you know, your storytelling skills, your writing skills might not be there yet. And it's okay. I think there's a lot of pressure in that industry to be like a rock star by the time you're 30. Mm. And well, that's really yeah, because we do, we do tell young people that they have to live first, then write, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but what does that mean for women? Right? Right. If you live first, and you end up with a kid, um, then that's the end of the writing, right. apparently. Right. <laughs> the living you know how to combine the living and the writing is something that has just always always fascinated me and troubled me part on a personal level but also in my um you know my studies of women writers Mm -hmm. and it's the ones who you know the ones who find a way to combine the two who've been who've been so inspiring to me and even Mm -hmm. though so many people wish that you know joe never married i think the fact that she did marry the kind of choice that she made, the sort of marriage that she wants to have, a more companionate marriage, and you know her ability to combine it with uh, with writing, I think is pretty inspiring too. Yeah, that's a great point. That is making me feel a different way about that because I am one of the people that's like, I wish Joe never married. Right. Well, I mean, I think I get that too. I feel that too, um, and I think. If you look at Louisa May Alcott's life, I mean that's that's the life that Joe would have had right. if she had married. It's it's Alcott's life. So we can read about we biographies of her. We can mm-hmm. read her letters, her journals, and they're absolutely fascinating. And then, and she was a huge. She can be a huge inspiration to us too. I think. Yeah. The original Joe. Yeah. It's interesting too. Little Women definitely is one of those books. I've just started rereading it. Um, that you just feel differently about each time. Because I just I'm like, oh, I haven't I haven't read this for many years. So I think I read it first when I was about 10 or 11, then yeah. early 20s and now mid 30s. And I'm like, oh, different, different book every time. Absolutely different book every time. So that's what. Yeah, I wish I'd had the experience 10 or 11. But so I had my early 20s. And then when I started when I read it again, when I was teaching it, when I was in my 30s, after having my daughter, mm-hmm. Wow, those chapters about Meg um, after she gets married mm-hmm. and the advice that Marmy gives her and, you know, telling her basically you don't have to do everything after the twins are born. She feels like she's put on the shelf um, and she, you know, she's she's losing herself Right, is what's happening. And Marmy tells her you need to invite John into the nursery, mm-hmm. right? You need to be partners in this and you need to go out with him sometimes. And, you know, leave the kids with us or, you know, with Hannah or something. And I think women still need to hear that message because we're we're still made to feel like when we have children that they have to completely absorb our identities in every second Mm -hmm. of our lives. And that's where it's hard to do. And I don't think it's healthy. It's not healthy for us or the kids. Right. Absolutely. Marmy was on Marmy was onto something. Yeah, sure. she was. I think when I was a kid, I was so absorbed with the Joe story and Joe and Lori. But yeah, reading it this time around, I'm just all about Marmy. 
you know, you've been promoting the book and doing all kinds of talks and like just and articles and everything and have, you know, has there been um, any like weird misconceptions that people have had sort of about Little Women or Louisa, like in like, you know, having all these talks and interviews about Little Women that have come up for you? Well, I think people have been kind of surprised at how difficult the Alcott's life was. Mm-hmm. A lot of people are really interested to hear um, to hear about Bronson, more about Bronson. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I know I talked to you about him in an earlier episode, so we mm-hmm. don't have to rehash that. But yeah, he he was uh, he was a very interesting influence on her life for good and ill, and. Um, so they've been very interested in him. Um, and I think surprised to learn that Little Women has had such an international impact. Mm. Right? I, mean, I think that, you know, if there's a misperception out there, it's that Little Women is a book, well, first of all, just an American book. And it's been hugely influential in the UK ever since it was first published. Mm-hmm. Um, lots of women over there, you know, talk about it as this foundational book for them. Um, I, I would guess that it's second, you know, only to Austin and Bronte over there in terms of its influence. Um, and then also, you know, that it's been influential in, you know, so many other languages. I mean, mm-hmm. to see it appear in Elena Ferrante's book, My Brilliant Friend, mm-hmm. um, you know, that's set in 1950s Naples. And there the little girls are reading the book to rags. You know, they read it over and over again. And it gives them the idea that maybe they could grow up and be writers. Mm-hmm. Um, which which sets them on a path for the entire you know quartet of books, um, and that's the kind of inspirational role that it's had. So it's been I think it's been surprising for people that it's impacted so many women writers. Mm-hmm. Also, that I think my argument that it's not a book just for girls yeah. has been um, um, you know a lot of people have been very interested in that, mm-hmm. and you know it's kind of made them think about little women maybe a little bit differently. Um, so that's maybe, you know, in terms of misconceptions or misperceptions, maybe that it's only an American book and it's only a book for girls, little girls. Mm-hmm. Right. And so it's I think it's a book for all ages of women and men, too. Now, we'll skip ahead to uh, that article that you wrote for Lit Hub, because I really loved that article. And we had actually it's weird. We have an upcoming episode where we sort of talk about this a little bit. Um so yeah, everyone should go read it. It's on LitHub. Why don't more boys read Little Women? At great question. Why don't they? Like, what's going on? Like, why has this been? Why is this not included in the curriculum? So I had a teacher give me this book at ten or eleven, but it was not part of like the curriculum. It was like an wow. outside situation. Like she was like passing it to me under a desk, you know, as if it was like, you know covert like it, it was secret so right. um but but i think it is a very teachable book and i'm not sure why it wasn't taught like why were we learning about huck finn and not little women yeah well that is that was a huge surprise to me to learn that um basically it's completely non-existent in the schools today mm-hmm. and there are you know there are studies of what kids are reading in the schools and elsewhere, and um, Little Women's just not even registering. Um, and my other surprise was that it used to be ubiquitous in the schools. Mm-hmm. It was when the 1933 film came out with Katherine Hepburn, 
the National Council of Teachers of English sent out study guides to every single high school in the nation because it was being taught just about everywhere. Um, and that's interesting too that, you know, at the high school level. Yeah. But um, yeah, I think from, from what I could tell, it happened about the 1960s. Um, seems to be about the same time that, you know, feminism, um, second wave of feminism started and people mm-hmm. started reexamining Little Women and talking about it in different ways as potentially a, you know, somewhat radical book. Um, suddenly, I think Little Women became a book that was a bit controversial or might address topics that were considered, you know, too, um, too you know, like a hot potato, right? You don't want to mm-hmm. bring this into the schools. Um, and I think the issue of the gender politics in Little Women and in other books featuring girls has become off limit in public discourse. Generally, I had teachers tell me that um, when I started reaching out to see who was teaching Little Women, because I just, you know, naively assumed people were and thought, well, I'd love to hear about your experiences. And instead I got responses saying, oh, no, no, would never teach Little Women um, because the boys would hate it, wouldn't read it. It's really, as one as one teacher put it to me, a private book for girls, not suitable for the public classroom. And that really was shocking to me and said so much, I think, about our fears of alienating boys by talking about anything to do with girls. Um, and, and I think it expresses this tremendous stigma that we have as a culture about girls growing into women. Mm-hmm not just girls right we're, we're okay with little girls we're very okay with little girls mm-hmm. um, and in fact as, as you know they grow into women we still call them girls right mm-hmm. to keep things kind of safe but that very messy period of girls becoming women when their bodies are changing and they're becoming sexual beings is something and that's definitely happening in little women yeah i mean all yeah. that talk of you know wearing gloves to the dance wearing the skirts long wearing your hair up these were all sort of the markers in the Victorian era for girls who were becoming, you know, physically more developed and needed to be treated as, you know, as young women. So, you know, feeling anything to deal with those topics, right, is uncomfortable for us as a culture. It's something that, that has to be relegated to the private sphere. Right. And in fact, that's what you see for most most girls who read Little Women, they were given the book by a family, female family member or female teacher. Mm-hmm. There's kind of almost this underground, you know, sort of network of right. women who are passing this book on, but it does not exist so much in our public discourse. Now, there have been movies. Whenever these movies have come out, they've been pitched to female audiences. And in fact, the 94 film almost didn't get made, you know, for 12 years, Amy Pascal was you know trying to get the male executives at Columbia to make this film, and they kept saying, "Oh, it's a you know it's a, it's a female story. It's not going to be wide interest, mm-hmm. as if women don't go to movies." First of all, but right. it wasn't until they packaged it as a family story that you know, and for Christmas time, that oh, okay, well that might be okay. We might be able to do that. So I have I have a lot to say on the topic, and that that um, LitHub essay is actually an excerpt. It's it's the night it's the seventh chapter of the book mm-hmm. um, so all of that yeah it's, it's in the book and i there was a lot more i could have said <laughs> <laughs> on the topic well it was you know 
I read that essay before I started the book too. And I sat down because Hannah and I were working on a project that kind of led into this anyway. And I was like, I was like, okay, let me just actually sit down and write down the books that were written by women that I was given in, in middle school, high school. And, and throughout all those years, not that it means anything. I was in honors English. So let's go, Uh go that way. Um, and you had mentioned Anne Frank and To Kill a Mockingbird. And I was like struggling, like besides, um, Maybe uh, I know why the caged bird sings. Like I was just like, I think I've got like four or five books here. Right. Out of but how many? I right? know. I, so many. And then I was like, I feel like I can think of more books where it's like a, a book about a man and his dog, like Shiloh and, um, right. you know, where the red fern grows and old yeller, <laughs> like things. Those books were taught to me in school. Right. Then like well, books by, by women about women. Exactly. And, and I mentioned my daughter, she's, uh, she's now a freshman in high school, but I definitely saw that in her middle school years, sixth, seventh and eighth grade. Um, again, the diary of Anne Frank and To Kill a Mockingbird were the only books about girls that they read. And they were taught as books about, you know, a book about the civil rights movement and a book right. about the Holocaust. Mm-hmm. The fact that they were, a, you know, featured girls was completely incidental. Um, they read Tom Sawyer, mm-hmm. and actually, I went to her school and went to uh, talk to the English classes in the sixth grade. They just read Tom Sawyer, and I told them about the book that I was writing, which they thought was, you know, kind of weird to write a book about a book. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you know, told them about Louise May Alcott and her sisters and how she wrote this, you know, this novel about them. Little Women, and I explained to them that it, you know, it takes place about the same time as Tom Sawyer, but this is, you know, what the girls' lives were like. And they had this, this, um, this neighbor, Lori, who was really a boy despite his name, and and, you know, he's growing up too, and they're having to deal with, you know, try to figure out what kind of people they can be as they grow up. And you know, I sort of pitched it to them as a book that they could possibly read. Or they did these like um, independent readings, sort of book clubs mm-hmm. and groups, and they were getting ready to choose their next book. So I encouraged them to read the book. I brought some copies into the classroom so they'd have access to them. And four, I think, groups chose to read Little Women. One of the groups was all boys. Mm-hmm. And that was really cool. And the teacher later told me that there was no, you know, no teasing, nobody, mm-hmm. you know, said that they shouldn't be reading it. And I think it had everything to do with how I pushed it to them. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, creating sort of a space for, you know, I asked them actually, is this a book only for girls? And they were like, no, no, they seem to realize that, yeah, it'd be cool to read about girls too of the time period. We just wrote about the boys, you know, and, and they didn't see anything wrong with that. I think sixth grade was maybe a good time, um, you know, where they felt a little more comfortable with that. But I also encouraged them to just read the first half of the book. Mm-hmm. Because Little Women is two books. Right. And it's still published as two books in other parts of the world. It's only here, you know, in the U.S. that it looks like this massive, you know, 500-page book that's so intimidating to kids. Um, but hopefully, you know, I wish I wish U.S. publishers would package it in two volumes, but they won't. Because that might make it more accessible. But if we pitch right. it to kids as a series instead of, you know, they love to read series. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So and the, I think Little Women's perfect to read when you're young 
And then uh, the second half, you know, good wives, as they call it in England, mm-hmm. um, you know, would be great when they're in high school. I'm so unprepared. I should like look, I should have highlighted in this article, like who it was in your research that said um, that perhaps men were afraid of feeling like outsiders, you know, while reading Little Women. Right. And um, I think that's fine. <laughs> I'm like, I'm a black woman. Like, I felt like an outsider reading, mo- you know, Catcher in the Rye. I think it's okay to feel like an outsider and learn how to deal with that. I think it's absolutely uh, okay. And not only that, but I think everybody should have that experience. You yeah. know, we read, we read books to see, you know, it's important to see ourselves reflected in literature. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. But then it can go too far. And I think for white boys, they only see themselves reflected in the books that they're given in school. Right. They're not, they're not um, exposed to other points of view. I actually had a librarian tell me uh, after reading my book that she, you know, really made her think about the fact that she's always encouraging kids to choose books about people different from themselves Mm -hmm. in terms of, you know, class or race or maybe, you know, a country they live in, that kind of thing. Uh, But she never thought about gender. She never thought about encouraging boys to read books about girls because that's just another form of difference, right? It's Mm -hmm. a form of difference that, um, you know, that, that we should be aware of. And it's super, super important. I think it is a fundamental human skill to learn how to empathize with people who are different from ourselves. Mm -hmm. And I think boys, unfortunately, and I think we see the evidence all around us in our culture now, they're not growing up learning how to empathize with girls. And right. literature is one of the best ways to learn this fundamental uh, this fundamental function, I think, of ourselves as humans, empathy. Um, one thing that I've come to see about Little Women, you know, you talked about seeing it differently every time we read it, and reading it now from this perspective, um, and also after having uh, looked at the, their two manuscript chapters, of little women that have survived, um, and they uh, they show some really interesting changes between the from the manuscript to the published version. One of them is the chapter of which Lori is proposing to Joe, and she's telling him over and over and over again, "No, no, I don't, I don't see you that way. No, I don't want to marry you. No," and he keeps coming back at her, and he even says something like, "Isn't that something girls just say?" No. They have to. She's like, well, maybe girls do, but I don't. In other words, he's just viewing her as a girl. He's not thinking her as Joe, right? He's not thinking, well, Joe doesn't do that. He's just thinking, well, you're a girl, and all girls do that, right? Which is so dehumanizing. And then, uh, so that's in the book. Okay, that made it in the book. We can all read that now. What she took out though is that, you know, he gets angry actually, and when he can't, you know, convince her. And she's, you know, finally said no again. And he grabs her, and these are Alcott's original words, and he kisses, he kissed her violently. Um, and then Joe, you know, sort of releases herself and is afraid of the passion in his face. And so, so Alcott took out him kissing her violently, took out the passion in his face, you know, and said just Joe's afraid of his face. She's more afraid of what he might do is kind of how it comes off. He storms off and you know says he's going to the devil. But in the original version, he seems to be you know sort of claiming her, like I will, I will have you, right? He's forcing himself on her. He's just literally forcing himself on her. And I, you know, I couldn't read that 
passage in the manuscript, you know, any differently given, you know, so much of our cultural conversation right now. And it really struck me that, um, you know, Alcott was so aware of that. It made me see Laurie a bit differently because Laurie, as sweet as he is, we all love Laurie, but he really does the time accepting the fact that Joe doesn't see him that way. And he seems to sort of think of her as it's, his, you know, her, his right, right? He, yeah, and, and and that he has, you know, and in fact, he goes off and marries Amy, right? He, he you know, he has to have one of the March sisters. Right. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, that, that came across really well in the new miniseries, actually. Yeah. Night and day difference from the 94 version, honestly. Oh, don't get me started. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. true. How did you feel about the uh, new miniseries? And did you watch it with your daughter by chance? No, I watched it with some friends mm-hmm. who, um, uh, who, I, who I had had a little book club reading Little Women with mm-hmm. when I was writing the book. These are all women who'd read it when they were younger, and uh, and then they wanted to read it again. So we had some really interesting discussions. One of them, you know, Paul came up to me at this gathering and said, you know, I heard you're writing this book. And she said, you know, I am Joe March. <laughs> <laughs> not I love Joe March or I identify with her. I am Joe March. So we had to get this group together so we could sort of unpack all of this, and it was it was fun to watch it with them. Um, and the 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 moments in the in this miniseries that really stood out to me were the the um, scenes with Marmy because Marmy yeah. I felt like yeah. was was allowed to be. Uh, a person, a human being, for the mm-hmm. first time. I mean, that Susan Sarandon version of of Marmy is so she's so saintly. I mean, she's just so yeah. perfect. And in most of the other versions, you know, she's just kind of in the background. She doesn't really have a presence at all. She doesn't mm-hmm. say hardly anything, and nobody allows her to say what to me is one of the most important parts of the book. When she, you know, Joe's upset because um, she's let. Amy fall through the ice. She was so mad at her for burning her manuscript. She's scared of her temper and what it might, what she might do one day. Um, you know, she might actually hurt, really hurt somebody. And, you know, she tells Marmy, you don't understand it. You don't know what it's like. And Marmy says to her, no, I do understand. I'm angry almost every day of my life. I mean, that is phenomenal. Mm-hmm. That is absolutely one of the most amazing lines in the book. And it had never been put on film until that BBC miniseries. What do you have coming up? Do you have any um, festivals coming up or any anything? I know it was probably a busy summer for you promoting the book and all that good stuff. Yeah, and I have I have a day job too, right? So that's yeah, yeah. Difficult to juggle the yeah, but um, I just got invited to go to the Tucson Book Festival, so I'm excited mm-hmm. about that. That's in oh, March, that's cool. and I'll be at the Louisiana Book Festival November 10th. And I'm actually getting ready to go later this week. I don't know when this is airing, but probably later. But yeah. I'm going to Kansas State um, to speak there. And I'm actually going to be in um, going to three uh, libraries in suburban Philadelphia mm-hmm. the end of October. So um, nice. I have, yeah, I have all the information about that on my website, which is just my name, anboydrew.com. Okay. Oh, nice. That's busy. You're very busy. <laughs> Yeah, it's 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 been fun though, and I'm, I'm so not getting tired of talking about Little Women yet. So oh, that's good. Uh, <laughs> that's <yeah>. really good. <laughs> it is really good. <laughs>
And we are back. I always feel like super grateful that we had an expert to come on and talk about Little Women because I think it's shocking I didn't know Louisa May Alcott wrote Little Women. Yeah. Or no, rather, I knew that Louisa May Alcott wrote Little Women, but I didn't realise that Louisa May Alcott wrote Old Fashioned Girl and Eight Cousins, which is obviously the book that my mum gave me. And like, I must have read Little Women. I still can't. Like, I think I read it. I definitely, I definitely seen the film. And mm-hmm. so to have someone come on and talk about it, who's like passionate and who cares and who had that kind of experience of reading it when they were younger and like putting it into the hands of young people. I'm like, great. Cause I just didn't have that with Little Women, but I did have it with other Louise May Alcott books, right? Right. I think it's funny too, cause I didn't have that experience either. And so many of our, our listeners did. Like, as you're going to hear today, so many of our listeners um, are super passionate about the book. They read it at exactly the right time under the mm-hmm. right circumstances. Um, but same here. Like I had um, an English teacher give me the book when I was in fifth grade and I did not read it. <laughs> Instead, I read like an R.L. Stein or a Christopher Pike book about, you know, babysitters who were possessed by the devil and then I was like asked questions about the book later and I was just like I have no idea I'm just gonna make up answers Amy is my favorite sister so yeah I I didn't really have this you know super emotional attachment to the book either and then it wasn't until like I sort of like have been reading it now as an adult and as a mother that I have different feelings on it and like I really loved what um Anne was saying about um well just how much both of you during the interview you broke down like mommy's a great character and like mm-hmm. Meg's storyline um after she's married I know that's something that some of our listeners were talking about in the discussions on Facebook just all of the characters except maybe Beth who I don't relate to at all they just um <laughs> they like they seem so real in a way that like the Bennett sisters right Elizabeth you get Elizabeth and then you don't really get the others they're like mm-hmm. caricatures of like different sins and virtues or whatever. Like they're right. either really boring or like really flirty or like a non-character. Sorry, Kitty. Like, but with little women, you've got these four girls and they are as they're so individual. Like their characters yeah. are just there all through all through their lives, like all through the the book from when they're very young to when they're older. And it's kind of interesting to give that to women like you don't have to fit this one mold like being a woman or being a girl doesn't mean one thing right like yeah, you can absolutely. be a joe or you can be like catty like i love amy i think i love amy more as i get older really Controversial. Oh, I love, yeah i think you know i was thinking about it in preparation for this and it's like who am i most interested in and i'm like amy because she's super spiteful she gets the hottie she gets those mm-hmm. pickled limes. Right. She does the fire, the book thing. That's pretty cool. <laughs> she goes on holiday. Yeah, all about Amy. I mean, Amy does really know how to live, right? She gets it all. Yeah. Girl's going to get it. You got to yeah. admire it. That's a good point. That's a good point. I um, Yeah, I, I think that... Um, that is important to show young women that you, you know, you don't have to be one thing that you can be, you know, different people. Um, you can be different people throughout your lifetime. So now we're doing a thing this week on our show, uh, very similar 
to a thing we did in our show a few weeks ago. Now, we invited some of our listeners to um, send in audio memos of their, you know, little women experiences. So a favorite quote or what the story means to them. And uh, we've put together another little, little mini montage for you. She can't love Bethy as I do, and she won't miss her as I shall. Beth is my conscience, and I can't give her up. I don't think I'll ever be able to put into words how much Little Women means to me, but what I think I love most about the book is that the characters are so multifaceted, they're perfectly flawed and interesting, and they're also different to each other. Throughout my life, I've come back to this book and connected to different characters. I'm older than Meg now, but reading as an adult, she's resonating with me more than she ever has. I think little women will always be relevant to people of all ages, because there's a character for you to connect with in different life stages. I know in decades to come, I'll pick up the book again, and one day I won't be Jo or Meg, I'll suddenly find I'm old Aunt March, and I'm so happy. I can grow old with these characters. That's something special. There are many Beths in the world, shy and quiet, sitting in corners till needed, and living for others so cheerfully that no one sees the sacrifices till the little cricket in the hearth stops chirping, and a sweet sunshiny presence vanishes, leaving silence and shadow behind. Now Mr. Davis had declared limes a contraband article and solemnly vowed to publicly ferule the first person who was found breaking the law. This much-enduring man had succeeded in banishing chewing gum after a long and stormy war, had made a bonfire of the confiscated novels and newspapers, had suppressed a private post office, had forbidden distortions of the face, nicknames, and caricatures, and done all that one man could do to keep half a hundred rebellious girls in order. Boys are trying enough to human patience, goodness knows, but girls are infinitely more so, especially to nervous gentlemen with tyrannical tempers, and no more talent for teaching than Dr. Blimber. Mr. Davis knew any quantity of Greek, Latin, algebra, and ologies of all sorts, so he was called a fine teacher, and manners, morals, feelings, and examples were not considered of any particular importance. It was a most unfortunate moment for denouncing Amy, and Jenny knew it. Mr. Davis had evidently taken his coffee too strong that morning. There was an east wind which always affected his neuralgia, and his pupils had not done him the credit which he felt he deserved. Therefore, to use the expressive, if not elegant, language of a schoolgirl, he was as nervous as a witch and as cross as a bear. The word limes was like fire to powder, his yellow face flushed, and he rapped on his desk with an energy which made Jenny skip to her seat with unusual rapidity. Hello, this is Mary from Lexington, Kentucky. My voice memo for Louisa May Alcott is, I would rather be a free spinster and paddle my own canoe. I'm in the Shakespeare and Company cafe, so I thought it was an appropriate time to send the message. I'd rather have coffee than compliments just now. Little Women to me is the same as going home for my mom's cooking. It is the same recipe to feel a certain way 
that I did when I was a kid. Um, I can sit down and eat my mom's, you know, goulash and sit down and read Little Women. And it they both take me back to like the same point in time as a kid. And I don't know, it's probably just memory, um, not reality, but it just makes me feel happier to read her. And there's a lot of happy memories tied up in reading Alcott um, and specifically Little Women. And I also, I also have a lot of fondness for the, the movie adaption of it because I think it, it was probably my first introduction to Alcott was the Renona Ryder movie. Um, despite having a speech impediment at the time that I couldn't say Winona Ryder properly, um, it uh, it's the same thing, the same memories, the same overwhelming love that when I visited Orchard House a couple years ago as a, a full-grown adult at like 25, I stepped into the parlor and started crying. Uh, you know, happy tears. Alcott is like going home to my childhood and Little Women is like canned happiness. And I would like to thank Kaylee, Brittany, Esther, Robin, Mary and Mary and um, anyone else that came in after the deadline (laughs) Um, for that little montage. That was awesome, guys. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Now, um, I'm sure we'll do more, you know, calls for listeners to send us stuff, audio memos, money, their souls. Hannah, where would we, where would we put a call for submissions? Oh, well, you can find calls for money on Instagram (laughs) and Twitter at bonnets at dawn. You can email us uh, bonnets at dawn at gmail.com and you can find us on facebook by searching bonnets at dawn in the little search bar you've got to answer those questions guys because otherwise i'll screenshot your request and i'll send it to lauren and i'll say look at this person they don't listen to the show they're not coming in i'm like a gatekeeper she really is i'm loving it (laughs) if you try to be funny with those questions too hannah's not having it i'm not having it Mm -mm. no we're very strict around here okay guys thank you so much for joining us for this very special episode. Thank you very much to Anne Boyd Rue, our special guest, and um, all of our listener contributors. Bye. Bye. Bye.